Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning we have with us Mr. Chuck Michelle. Thanks for being here, Chuck. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Chuck is the uh, current, I believe, uh, president of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Is that true? Still That's correct. Okay. You've been uh, in that position for quite a while, I think, at least seems like it's been several years. Is that right? About f uh, five years now. Great. Uh, Chuck is also a, by day, he's a professional attorney, um, a successful attorney. You've prevailed in uh, at least one federal Second Amendment case uh, at the district court and I think at the Ninth Circuit, right? Is that right? Yeah, there's been a, there's been several. The Peruta case on California uh, uh, license to carry concealed in public, and uh, the Duncan case on magazines that can hold over ten rounds. Uh, all of these uh, Freedom Week. Were... So you were you were the Freedom Week attorney, right? Yes, yeah, <laughs> we, we that was a pleasure. That was oh, fun. Oh man, to watch. that was great. That yeah, was 2019. Uh, yeah, the, the court struck down, the trial court, federal trial court struck down the requirement that uh, you couldn't possess the ban on possession of magazines that hold over 10 rounds and the ban on the importation. And so for a week, while there was an injunction in place against enforcement of that, of that state law, people bought all the large capacity magazines, not, they're not large capacity, they're standard capacity, 10 plus round magazines that they could find in the country I think we cleared out warehouses, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, uh, everything uh, west of the Mississippi. That's right. was empty. You know, we the FedEx sold. and UPS planes were landing by the hour, yeah. bringing more magazines. They probably sold a million magazines. I was going to ask you what the, the number was. I, I wouldn't doubt that it was a million. I know that uh, I have a chunk of that myself uh, coming in, and that was quite a, an experience for me. I couldn't believe it. Um, I remember it well. It was this decision came down on a Friday afternoon, I believe. I think it was like 4.45 or something on a Friday. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, uh, it, it took a couple hours for people to even just digest it, like what was happening. And then the first gun store that I remember that said they were going to start selling them the uh, standard capacity magazines was gunfighter tactical in um, Miramar near San Diego. There might've been others, but uh, that was the first one that I saw. Oh, it sort of rolled over the state like a wave yeah. as we, you know, we were scrambling to try and determine whether or not the ninth circuit was going to try and, and stay the injunction so that people couldn't buy them, but they, and the state tried, I mean, Mm -hmm. The attorney general was in there as soon as they could be. We've, yeah. we've tried to fight back and, and held it off as long as we could. And it brought us about a week. Then it went up to the Ninth Circuit. And we won in the three-judge panel in the Ninth Circuit. And then, as the Ninth Circuit is apt to do, they mm -hmm. took it up to the en banc review panel of 11 judges. And that's where it was overturned. But that case is right now pending in the United States Supreme Court, uh, being held pending the result in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case. Hmm. Wow. And uh, the Peruta case was uh, some years before that. I believe it was, I can't remember when the district court what, uh, had its judgment, but that what everybody remembers about Peruta was the three-judge panel at the Ninth Circuit. 
<clears throat> yeah, that we we wanted the three judge panel, and that and that was again overturned on bonk. But the right the, the beauty of that decision, it was so well written by a conservative justice yeah. that the 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 sheriffs and police chiefs who read it, a lot of sheriffs and police chiefs in California are conservative. Mm-hmm. So when they read his ruling, mm-hmm. they agreed with it, even mm-hmm. though they weren't bound by it. They recognized that what they were saying, what the court was saying was right. And so a lot of, of jurisdictions voluntarily went to effectively uh, shall issue. And so that's why right now in California, most jurisdictions, you, you can actually get a CCW. It's not quite 100% shall issue, but it's not that hard to get a license to carry a concealed firearm in most jurisdictions in California. There's a few holdouts. Mm-hmm. And we've got them in our sites, you know, San Francisco, the city of L.A., uh, a couple of other counties where they just don't want to issue at all. And if Bruin comes down, if the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case comes down from the Supreme Court, as we expect, uh, CRPA has already got a, uh, a campaign ready to uh, tell those jurisdictions that they need to update their good cause policy to include self-defense. Oh, wow. And we'll be ready. We'll litigate against any city that wants to hold out on that. I would imagine there might be some cities that do. And, um, and you know what? The, the, the attorney general, here's the games we're going to face. Okay. The attorney general has already sent an, a, a, a communicated with every prosecutor in the state, all the police chiefs and sheriffs, and said, because uh, they expect that they're going to lose the Supreme Court case. And the, mm-hmm. and the attorney general of California is already saying, before you change anything about your CCW policy, your license to carry in public policy, call me. So they're already trying to come up with ways, and I know I can predict some of them. Uh, they will declare, you know, anything within a thousand feet of a church, a school, or a stop sign is a sensitive place. Yeah. Where your license won't be valid. Wow. And they'll pr- probably try and raise the fees. Uh, they will require background checks, not just on you. This is already happening in some jurisdictions. They're trying to require background checks on the, your entire family. And then they'll try and uh, impose psychi- psychological exams, make those very expensive. I mean, they're just going to try and red tape it to death. They'll get a license, but they're, yeah. if they get their way, it won't be worth that much. So we're already uh, fundraising for our Pro-2A uh, CRPA's reckoning campaign, where we will be going after all of the sorry about that, all <laughs> of the bad laws that have uh, that we that have been forced down our throat basically for the last uh, you know twenty odd years. Yeah, uh, that do nothing to make us safer, but just make it harder and harder to to own a gun or to go out and have fun shooting one at the range or to hunt or whatever or to defend your family. You have to have some theory about what in the world is their problem with firearm self-defense. What what do you think that the answer to that is? Well, that, that, that's, why, why a, is it, that's a kind of a multifaceted question. I, I think at the far end, you know, not to spout, sound conspiratorial, but and, and this is oversimplified, but some politicians just believe in the nanny state. They believe in big government and individual empowerment whether it's through a firearm or even now with, you know, with the First Amendment, with the cancel culture and that kind of stuff, 
I mean, they don't want to have people that disagree with them. They want to be able to steamroll over you and tell you how to live your life because they think they know better. Uh, that's the sort of at the far end. But also it's, you know, the, the, the problem of gun violence is it's not an easy one to solve. It's, it's not as hard as some. Uh, you just have to spend some money on prevention, hardening schools and, and, and letting some people have the tools that they need to defend themselves. Uh, but they don't want to do that because, again, it empowers the individual. And also uh, they, they, see, they see the world in a government-centric way. And um, that permeates their entire philosophy. And it's a hell of a lot easier to hold a press conference and say, I'm going to pass another law and it will make you safer. So vote for me. You know, that conflict gets their name in the papers and name recognition is how a lot of politicians get elected or reelected or raise money. Yeah, that's true. It is easy. It's low hanging fruit for them. And then throw on top of that, that they know nothing about guns and they're spoon fed talking points and, and a new law from, you know, every town for gun safety, Bloomberg's financed group or, or the Brady Center or whatever the, the, the group du jour is that, that, you know, wants to push and fundraise off gun bans. The ignorance about firearms, just the objects, I think is, is a good point. That's really, like if you compare as far from a safety perspective, other things we use like cars, they're dangerous, right? I'm saying tools, stuff like that. Those are, or those ordinary objects are pretty familiar to most people. Um, and I mean, it seems like Hollywood can't even get gun stuff, right? I mean, oh, you ever watch like films and TV where it's like, that's, there's big problem with that right there. I mean, they, they obviously, sometimes they switch it, the gun it's in everything. I, I, I lost, I lost interest in, I used to love the walking dead, you know, the zombie movies, the zombie show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I lost interest because here they are, they're, they're hitting zombies in the head with a handgun, a running zombie while they're running at, at, you know, 50 yards in the head with a handgun, but they can't hit a bad guy from 20 feet away with an AR 15. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, the Hollywood yeah. gets it wrong constantly all the time. I'll count the number of rounds and I'm like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, they never have to seven reload. Rounds. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, seven rounds in that Colt, in that uh, old Colt. Fascinating. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and what gets me as far as like when people talk about silencers or, or something, like it, like it, like that's the sound. It's, it's just silence or something. Right. And then uh, there's shootouts inside a building and nobody's ears are ringing. They can hear them. They can hear each other talk perfectly. There's, there's no, there's no realistic understanding of just how loud these damn things are. And especially inside, if there's a gunfight inside, you wouldn't be able to, to hear anything for like a long time. And that never is reflected in any kind of dialogue or script. And what do you know? These Hollywood people think that we should ban silencers. It's like, yeah, they, they get so many things wrong. And you yeah, think that the ignorance is, is astounding. People think, yeah. I think there's sort of this presumption that politicians know what they're talking about sometimes. They, and they certainly, you know, do everything they can to foster that myth. But politicians, a lot of politicians aren't very smart, not just about guns. They're not smart about anything. 
they and they react to emotional appeals, not logical reasoning. You know, thinking things through, and things that they think that will get them reelected. They say what you, they think people want to hear to get them reelected, or they offer some free stuff to to try and buy a vote effectively uh, by yeah. offering some additional benefit. It's scary. freebie, another government freebie, government handout. A lot of people who vote aren't that smart either, apparently. Um, well, they're so uninformed, you know. They're uninformed, they come, but they're not. That's, they're, that's a good so point. They're ignorant. They don't know, and and I can understand this to a point uh, because you know everybody's got a day job. <laughs> well, most of them do, and, <laughs> and and you know, and that takes up time. Plus, you got a family to raise. I mean, people have time, yeah, and and trying exactly. to get into these issues. You know, yeah. there's so many different issues and trying to understand all of them at the depth needed to actually be able to make some of the intelligent decisions where, you know, right. Abraham Lincoln said, you can't fool all of the people. You can fool some of the people, some of the time, some of the people all the time and all the people, some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. But I would say, well, you can, if you have the right marketing budget, I think Louis Mayer said that. <laughs> you know, as far as the the uh, lack of information about guns, uh, the objects of guns, I thought, how in the world do you battle that? Because you can't the it would be great if you could have a gun safety class, a true gun safety class in public schools. I don't know that it seems like politically that would be impossible now, but seems like in some jurisdictions it might be possible to do that but the work you're doing at uh crpa there's a lot of educational work right as far as oh a ton a ton objects. of training uh, uh, one second yeah there are also resources out there that folks uh -huh. can take advantage of this is something that the crpa has made available that's a book um, called Gun Truths gun for truths. people listening. Okay. Gun Truths. Trying to get that on my, there you go. Yeah, I see it. Um, and for people on Apple Podcasts who just have the audio of this, this book called Gun Truths, and the subtitle uh, is How Gun Laws Fail. And is the public, what's the publisher, CRPA? Or uh, Second Amendment uh, Law Center, but it's uh, it's on Amazon and and uh, okay. be sure to designate the CRPA Foundation as your charity. So of course, oh, we want to pick Jeff Bezos' pocket as much as possible. Oh, great idea! How do how do people do that on Amazon? How uh, go to Amazon Smile and okay. buy whatever you're buying through Amazon through Amazon Smile rather than through the normal Amazon Prime platform. Okay. It's all the same. It's just that you can designate any charity you want on um, Amazon Smile, and a portion of whatever you spend uh, goes to the CRPA Foundation, the 501c3. Or you can designate the Second Amendment Law Center or any other charity you want, for that matter. But at least right. a portion of your, your, your price doesn't go up, oh. but a portion of the, of the purchase price gets donated to the charity. And CRPA Foundation actually gets a fair amount of money from the folks who are buying uh, through okay. Amazon. You know, I don't like Jeff Bezos politics at all. Right. But people, you know, he's to a certain extent, he's the only game in town. Yeah. And so at least if you're going to, if you're going to use Amazon, at least help us pick Jeff's pocket. And yeah. And no kidding. And put it towards the cause. The CRPA foundation, the California rifle and pistol association, that's, 
that's a an educational mission? Yes, CRPA is a C4. So you can't deduct donations to the C4 because they are used for lobbying and okay, other so advocacy. The is CRPA that a, is Foundation, that huh? Is that considered a political action committee then under the law? No, we have a PAC too. CRPA okay. has a PAC too. CRPA has CRPA, the C4, which is the, the lobbying component and the programs okay. component. Uh, okay. They have dozens of programs. Litigation is the most high profile one, but also junior shooting, women's shooting, uh, safety okay. classes. Uh, uh, the training component is gigantic. The chapters, the CRPA chapters, which are now all across the state of California and folks should think about joining one because uh, that's that's not just uh, you're, you're, you're helping the cause, but you're also having some fun. I mean, it's a social entity uh, that people really get together and go shooting or do other, they do whatever they want. I mean, we don't tell the groups, we don't tell the chapters how to spend their time or their money, but we help them in any way we can. And they help us getting involved locally. Uh, chapters mm -hmm. is probably the biggest program CRPA the C4 is running. Then there's the C3, which is the educational arm that funds whatever eligible activities the CRPA does that can be funded by a charity, a C3 charity. And that includes litigation, by the way. Oh, so when really? you buy something on Amazon and a portion goes to the CRPA foundation, that can go towards a lawsuits against Second Amendment, bad gun control laws that violate the Second Amendment. And then there's the CRPA Political Action Committee which uh, gets involved in, in, in elections and tries to support state and local candidates that, that agree with us on the social utility and value of firearms and that people have the right to keep and bear firearms for sport or self-defense or hunting or defend their families or whatever. Is there a, are there free speech restrictions on any of these uh, from from CRPA's perspective, uh, well, the, in terms the, of how you CRPA talk about candidates? The CRPA Foundation is li limited in the lobbying it can do and it can't get involved in elections. Okay. But, the, uh, but that's why we have to have all three entities so that you can do everything. You just have to do it under the right umbrella. And the C4, is there, are there free, well, how could there be free speech if it's lobbying? Not on the C4, you can lobby. I mean, but okay. you can't deduct it. It's not deductible. It's ah, not tax okay. deductible. Not tax deductible. Your deductions to the CRPA Foundation as a charity or the Second Amendment Law Center That's as a charity, those are tax deductible, depending on your circumstances. You got to talk to your tax advisor, but they're, they can be deducted from your taxes. Oh, okay, cool. That's helpful. Okay, so uh, Amazon Smile, you can designate any charity you want and crpa foundation second amendment law center they're both on there they're both on there yeah, amazing okay so that's a great way to support this effort um of course you can join you can join and become a member you have a great uh there's a great uh magazine that crpa puts out i really enjoy that firing line you know, i'm 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 proud of what we did there that was like a you know a little black and white uh newsletter for years and we oh, really, right? we really brought it up a lot. It's really professionally done. It's always got a really uh, timely cover that with, uh, it looks like a regular professional magazine to me. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, we, we went out to uh, uh, Chipotle Co Publishing, which is uh, in, out in Nevada, and they do small arms review. And so they knew hmm. something about it. You know, we were trying to do it basically in-house for a long time. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, <laughs> there's Expensive. a reason that 
the reason that there are professional publishing companies, they, yeah. they know if you, <laughs> then they so, can do it at cost. Yeah. That's great. So, uh, Chuck, uh, you're, a you are, uh, a regular guy. You're also an incredibly successful attorney at the state and federal level, right? You, you practice, uh, civil rights litigation at the state level in California. Is that right? Well, so I, I own Michelle and Associates. That's a law firm with the main office in Long Beach, California. We've been around for 30 years almost now. Uh, I started as a one-man shop, and it grew into, at one point, we had uh, 20 lawyers and 20 staff. It was a pretty big operation. It's scaled back now post-COVID, and also uh, because for a very long time, our biggest client was the National Rifle Association, and the National Rifle Association is in financial, dire financial straits right now. So it's uh, not really running the same programs that it used to anywhere in the country. Um, but uh, we still have about 10 lawyers and, and, and 15 or so staff, paralegals and secretary. And it's a, it's a boutique law firm. Uh, we don't just do civil rights. Uh, we do business litigation. There are various different practice areas. You can see it all on my website. But the, the sexy one and the one that everybody there really enjoys working in the most is the Second Amendment civil rights. We also mm -hmm. do First Amendment, uh, interestingly enough because there's crossover now. They're trying to ban gun shows. And interestingly enough, that's really more of a First Amendment question than a Second Amendment question. Plus, you've got this woke culture now. I can't mm -hmm. tell you how many uh, kids right. in, you know, in high schools that wore an NRA or a CRPA or a National Shooting Sports Foundation shirt with a picture of a gun on it as somebody's shooting skeet or whatever, you know, and they get told they can't wear that shirt to school. Meantime, the kid sitting in the chair next to him was wearing a Scarface T-shirt with Al Pacino with an AR-15, you know, and an M203 grenade launcher, you know, saying, say hello to my little friend. That's okay. They don't uh, go after him for that. They just go after him for the political shirt, the, the, the wow. gun rights organization shirt. So we've gotten involved in dozens of cases like that, uh, trying to, and, and that's all First Amendment litigation. So it's not, it's not limited. And unfortunately, because of the cancel culture and wokeism, uh, there's more and more First Amendment violations taking place uh, everywhere. So it's there's plenty. We have plenty of work to do. No kidding. But we always we can always help another person if they need it. That's awesome. <clears throat> Did you grow up with uh, firearms in the house? Did you grow up hunting? Yeah. Stuff like uh, that. I grew up in rural New Jersey. What was then rural New Jersey? My father worked for Johnson and Johnson, but his hobbies were hunting. And he was a small boy, small bore shooter, and he was an NRA instructor, and he taught his kids, including me and my two brothers, uh, how to shoot. And so that's how I got into it. You know, I used to be able to walk off my back porch in, in New Jersey into the woods behind my house, taking my shotgun and my, you know, blaze orange hunting vest back there to try and get a rabbit or a squirrel or whatever. And my neighbors, if they saw me going back there, would be like, good luck, go get one, bring home. You know, <laughs> nowadays they'd call the SWAT team. Yeah. They saw a kid walking in the woods with a shotgun. Uh, but that was wow. the culture then. We did a lot of plinking, uh, you know, cans off the back porch. And so it was kind of like a way of life. So I grew up very much used to it and didn't really appreciate, to tell you the truth, at the time as I was younger, what kind of forces were lining up against uh, gun ownership 
Uh, and then I moved, I went to Rutgers, I moved to New, to California. I had a job uh, at a cable TV, what was the beginning of the cable TV industry. I'm dating myself here. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I worked there for a while and I wasn't really succeeding the way I wanted to. So I went to law school uh, and, uh, and wor then worked for a big firm. Then I worked as a prosecutor for a while. And then I started my own firm and, and I, I, I realized as I was working for this big firm, I was working for a firm uh, called O'Melveny and Myers that Warren Christopher was the chair of, who then went on to become secretary of state under Bill Clinton. So obviously this is a Democrat, a hardcore Democrat. I made for some very interesting conversations in the lunchroom because there were different groups of people with, in, within the firm, lawyers who had different you know, notions, different ways of thinking. And so right, right. it was actually very civil and, and, but, and but, but very interesting, but it made me realize as I watched the city of LA, which is where the main office for the law firm was trying to do all these things to take away gun owners' rights. And as, because I had grown up with guns, I realized a lot of stuff that they were saying wasn't true. Hmm. And that's what kind of got me into uh, the, the gun rights scene and, and, and defending gun owners. I also volunteered to do work for free for the CRPA and the, and the NRA at that time and uh, did a lot of pro bono work for them then. And then uh, the, the, uh, the firm kind of grew from there. Wow. What did you major in at Rutgers? Uh, communications. And where did you go to law school? Loyola in LA. Oh Loyola. yeah, Loyola. Good old Loyola. Wow. So <clears throat> that's that's quite a story. Um, it, it was it's a very uh, natural progression. I can see, you know, working in the culture of L.A. and then you see what's really happening with uh, how they're trying to take rights away from people and. Now, when you came to California, did you uh, were you like a gun person at that time? Did, were you, did you bring your guns? I didn't guns? even own did one you, at the time. I didn't, didn't have enough one? money. I couldn't afford one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know? Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I didn't have a car for the longest time right after I got out of college. Okay. Uh, so as I finally, you know, worked and learned to save a little from my paychecks, mm -hmm. uh, one of the first things I got after a car was uh, 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 a Smith & Wesson. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, and then I bought a few more from there. But, you know, the reality is in L.A. County, it's difficult to go shooting. I mean, yes, you can go to indoor ranges. That's right. But, but I kind of got tired of paper punching, you know, punching holes after a while. I wanted to go to the outdoor ranges and they're further away. It's a lot harder to get out to it is. the LA, L.A. County ranges to really get into it. And that's why the shooting sports... Uh, you know, aren't as huge in LA County as they are in more rural parts of the state or in other states. Right. Is that is that why a lot of people in LA County are just ignorant then too of the objects because they just have less experience with them? Well, I guess yes to a degree, but but I think people in LA County, it's 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 interesting how people buy guns for different reasons. Yeah. In LA County, there's a lot of gun owners, but they basically have a handgun probably in their dresser drawer, hopefully in a quick access lockbox if they have kids in the house. Right. Um, but uh, 
they don't own it. The, the sporting, the sporting aspect of shooting and hunting is harder to practice in LA County. Uh, so the gun ownership rates there, I would think are more based on self-defense, which is fine. I actually think that's a, kind of a trend that goes across the country. If you, if you've got a gun for a sport, you're going to also have one for self-defense. So, uh, you know, that's, and that's the fundamental natural right that the second amendment is all about the right to defend yourself, your family, and to access the, the best tool to accomplish that purpose. That's interesting sociological. Uh, so you're paying attention to these sociological facts on the ground that they do. They actually do impact, I think, yeah, the cities. We're trying to reach them. We're trying that's to right. we don't, we want to reach out that's to that right. person, let them know that that gun that's in your house, in your bedroom, that you keep there in case the guy comes through the window at 3 a.m. The politicians are after that gun, too. And oh, by the way, hunters, they're after yours, too. They may just not come after mm -hmm. yours at first, but uh, it's not just about black rifles or semi-automatics. There is a certain group of advocates that want to ban the civilian possession of firearms entirely if they could. Thankfully, Heller at least lets us guarantees, for now at least, Heller guarantees you can have a gun in your house. You know, but in the view of the gun ban lobby, they think, oh, well, yes, you could have one in your house, but it's gotta be locked up uh, right, right. You know, you know, in a way that you can never really effectively use it. And, yeah. you know, you can have you can have you only have certain types of guns, revolvers. Right. And you can only have one bullet, you know, like Barney. Fight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, it, they want to control every aspect of it that yeah. they can. Yeah. Uh, because they're trying. What this really is, is a war against the gun culture. Mm. And by that, I mean, people who want to talk about like we're doing right now. We're having a cultural right. excuse about firearms and and self-defense and politics they don't want people who own a gun for whatever reason become more aware of the politics and more aware of the smears mm -hmm. that are out there against guns and gun owners and they recognize that a lot of the things that are being said are wrong and they get engaged to a higher percentage if newsom gavin newsom had his way and he's declared he wants to eliminate the gun culture he has said this wants to eliminate the gun culture. So no gun shows, no uh, uh, limit the number of firearms retailers or eliminate them, zone them out of business, uh, make it harder to have a gun, uh, make more and more people who can't have a gun, limit, uh, you know, limit everything in every way they can so that less and less people have guns because then it's not a, a, a potent political force. He doesn't want gun owners to be a potent political force. He wants to exert his will and his agenda and his narrative um, yeah. on everybody wants it to be England. Basically. Like when you go to England, that's how it is. I mean, it's amazing. And in, in London, from what I understand, you can't even have like a screwdriver in your pocket or something, anything that could be used as a stabbing weapon, like ordinary objects that we could this easily is, buy. That, that's where it ultimately goes because they ignore the substitution effect. You yeah. know, if you can't have a, an AR, you're going to get, a different gun would you rather be it's like arguing whether you'd be rather be run over by a ford or a chevy criminals will always get something because right. it gives them power to ply their criminal trade mm -hmm. so you know there's there's millions of machine shops in this country and even without a you know a precursor kit yeah. uh, you know when, when i was a kid growing up the gangs in new jersey 
<laughs> we're making zip guns out of a two by four, a rubber band and a car antenna and a couple of screws. So it's not like it's that difficult now with modern CAD cam design and all the other tools of, of a machine shop to make a functional firearm. So go ahead and ban everything. Yeah. But the bad guys will still have something. There's so many guns in the United States that I'm constantly, I know we have a lot of murder. We have a lot of murder. Uh, and a lot of them are committed with firearms as the murder weapon. But when you look at how many guns there are in the United States, I'm, I'm amazed that there, if, if these, these Democrats and people on the left that are against self-defense, like with a firearm or anything, any weapon for self-defense, they're against effective self-defense and they're for growing the government, getting the government involved in any, every nitpicky thing, bringing government into your house to check and see if it's locked and how many bullets you have and, uh, controlling. Yeah. For the I, sake I, of control, unfortunately. Right. Because if yeah, you look at, nanny if you state. look at, if you look at the gun violence rates, in the I'm, United I'm, States, I'm, I'm amazed just... that there are not more. I mean, if, if, if they're correct that that guns are the problem, we should have a far worse issue with murder. But yeah. we don't. This, I mean, is, there are hundreds of their, millions of guns. Hundreds this is their millions. trigger. Their trigger pulls the finger theory is what I call it, where they say the gun causes you to become violent. Wait a minute. You, you yeah. know, first of all, gun, gun violence adjusted per population size. America has one of the lowest rates of gun violence. Yes, that's and what I was trying to when, get at. when you define gun violence, most of it, the vast majority of it is suicide. That's mm -hmm. how they skew those statistics. That's right. Now, that's a different problem. Yeah. Someone deciding to kill themselves. How do you handle that? How do you how do you get at that? The suicide? Well, issue? if you're if you're if you can't get a gun to kill yourself, you're going to jump off a bridge. So what problem are you solving by not? I mean, I'm. I'm Whatever we can do, you know, CRPA has a suicide prevention hotline that we promote in every issue of the magazine. Oh, that's cool. You know, we're happy to try and help people. But the, the point is that when you're trying to do an evaluation of whether or not guns have social utility, whether or not guns save more lives than they take by criminals, yeah. you have to factor in that, that suicide is not the same as yeah. a, a gangbanger committing a crime, which, by the way, that's the second most uh, popular, most uh, uh often uh, mm -hmm. incident of gun violence is gang violence. And it's related to the drug trade. And they all went through a background check, right? Whatever <laughs> else there is. And so you take all that out of it and you really don't have the same kind of a problem as people perceive that we have. Yeah. I was reading a statistic, uh, FBI, I think it was 2019 is the last I checked that uh, I'm sure you've seen the statistic. More people are are killed with hands and feet, what they call personal weapons, then all rifles and all shotguns combined, all long guns combined, less than hands and feet. You can't make this up. This is FBI, right. U.S. Department of Justice statistics from 2019. I don't know what 2020 is, but. But see, this is the, this is the crux of the debate. Do guns save lives? More lives than are taken when guns are misused. That means we're trying to figure out if guns have social utility. Are they a net positive good for society because they save more people 
than criminal criminals use them to kill people with. And so getting into defensive gun uses. And most of the time when people use a gun defensively, it's not fired. Yes. So it doesn't get the coverage. Right. That when someone, you know, the, the old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. That's true. And, and if you're not shooting someone and defending your house, it's just you scared somebody away, but you use that gun. That saved the life because you used a gun to chase away a bad guy who may or so may not have had a gun. It's hard to get the real numbers because um, sometimes brandishing a gun or what counts as brandishing a gun is a crime. And if you brandish your gun to is in a defensive situation, uh, but it could be litigated and it could, there, there might be, some, you know, for a fact, you saved your own life with a gun. Every, every, every time you use a gun, even if it's to defend yourself legitimately, yeah. the saying is, you're, but you're not going to report that because you don't, if you might be in a jurisdiction that's hostile to self-defense. Right, right. right. So I, 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 why I would I report that? I reported that in the city of Los Angeles. You'd be like, you'd be basically incriminating yourself saying you have brandished a gun. A, a, you know, every bullet has a lawyer attached to it, is, as the saying goes. Oh, wow. But the, the, whole, the whole question of how many defensive gun uses, DGUs, are there is a very hotly contested. Actually, not hotly contested. It's an issue that the gun ban lobby wants to hide. And in fact, mm. there'll be an article in, in the next CRPA magazine about how many DGUs are there actually every year? And what and is the CDC covering up uh, a legitimate uh, reporting of defensive gun uses because they don't want to uh, legitimize firearms as having social utility? And in fact, the CDC just changed its website to take down a lot of references to studies it showed how often guns were in, within a range really? used to defend themselves because they were lobbied by the gun ban lobby to not put that kind of information on their website. Wow. And so they changed the website. So our article has the screenshots. Oh, cool. You know, shows exactly what the C, you know, the title is, is the CDC cooking the books on DGUs? Oh, wow. So this that's is in the, the next of, issue. Okay, great. And there's a reason why, you know, the CDC's funding for gun control was cut off because they're politically biased and, and mm. subject to uh, political influence. And so they can't be trusted to be objective. Wow. I think that's hard for some people to get like uh, the middle people, the squishy middle. I think they have a lot of trust of institutions. Yeah. And so they, they, it's hard for them to digest what you just said. Like, why would, why are you telling, you're telling me the center for disease control would, would be biased and be political. And I think that's hard for people to understand. I, I know that when I'm teaching, I can always spot the mushy middle people because they love the Institute. The institutions are never wrong. They're never biased. There's no deep state. There's no bureaucracy that's against the president Trump. There's no, you know, and, and uh, th there's just a naivety about, the culture and ability of an entrenched people don't realize that the the bureaucratic institutions they don't represent the people and the lawyers by the way who yeah. represent those institutions they're not looking out for the people's interests right they're looking out for the interests of that uh, uh, executive agency or administrative agency or politician yeah uh, and they are uniformly i've been litigating against various government agencies for you know 30 years they uniformly are power seeking. 
Every yeah. law is interpreted in the way that gives the agency more authority, more power. Uh, and, and, you know, no matter how nonsensical it is, you know, we do environmental law. A lot of gun ranges have environmental problems, but also uh, chemical uh, plants, et cetera. Uh, and you go up against an environmental regulatory agency and they'll declare everything to be hazardous material. Right. When in doubt, you know, you treat it. Uh, yeah. This is like the, the couple that was clearing out some brush in a, in a femoral stream bed, no water in it because it wasn't drain off drainage time. Mm -hmm. And they got prosecuted for uh, 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 a Clean Water Act violation for clearing out a stream bed. Crazy. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's not just guns. The, the government. Bureau yes, bureaucrats are, are, are power absorbing, power seeking and uh, and not necessarily reasonable or fair. Yeah, and I think getting moving the ball down the road on that issue with some of the mushy middle people, I think, would strengthen our position because it's just really another it's it's just like the ignorance of the object of the gun. That's a big obstacle for us. It's also just the naivety of what the bureaucracy does. And, and I, I tell people, Hey, it's just, it's just human nature. Any organization tries to get bigger. Like take, take, for example, churches. Seems like there's always churches that are trying to grow and grow. That's what they want to do. The organization wants to do that. Take the Roman empire. It was just one city. And then they have a whole region that's just named after that city. Um, Washington, D.C., the same thing. Uh, Pepperdine University, where I taught for 10 years. They have campuses all over the world now. It's It was just a little Christian college. You know, they're on Malibu, and now it's got Irvine campus and, you know, Westlake Village. I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what organizations want to do. And their endowments, you know, <laughs> when I see uh, yeah. private colleges building these art museums and all these you know, and the, oh. and the amount of money that they have in an endowment, and I'm like, and they, and, and then COVID comes along and they don't lower their tuition, even oh. though the kids can't get into the buildings. They're still taking all that government money too. And they get a lot of government money from free loans, basically that these kids get. It's amazing. Um, what, um, <clears throat> can you give us a sense of, of what you think will happen I, I always hate to predict the future, but you've been doing this for so long. You prevailed in Peruta, I think was in 2014, I believe, something like that. 2019, the Duncan case, I believe it was. Yeah. And you have uh, uh, quite a, a long history of several years of, of writing briefs and arguing uh, to the court. So you obviously are paying close attention to who's on the high court, who's on the Supreme Court, what their record is. Yeah. Uh, on this case that's before the Supreme Court right now, that's about to be decided, it's probably already written. They just haven't released it right. yet. It's already done. Done. It's already right. ink is well. People, dry. people need to know how we got here. Yeah. You know, uh, for the well, longest what's that case time, about for people that don't know what it is. Uh, what's the, the issue? With, case. Yeah, it's a concealed that, that's carry. That's a challenge case. to the state of New York's licensing scheme for carrying a concealed firearm in public. Uh, there's some plaintiffs, including the New York, the members of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, and also a couple of individuals who want to be able to get a license to carry a firearm in public for self-defense. They don't have a special need. 
They don't, they're not being stalked. They don't have a death threat against them. Right. They just want to be ready in case uh, they're attacked. And uh, the state of New York, much like the state of California, will not give you that license to carry a firearm and concealed in public unless you have some heightened need uh, in that California show. cause. Mm-hmm. In New York, it's a special need to and it get can't just license. be a it just can't just be a felt need, right? It can't be I would like to be prepared. That's not good enough. Right. Okay. I want one for self-defense is not good enough. Mm-hmm. And so they challenged that law and ultimately wound up in the United States Supreme Court. And the United States Supreme and, and, and by the way. This is the first case that the U.S. Supreme, Second Amendment case, that the Supreme Court has taken in 14, in uh, uh, 12 years. Heller, the Heller versus District of Columbia case came down in 2008, and then the McDonald versus Chicago case came down in 2010. In Heller, the, the plaintiff, Dick Heller, uh, was a security guard, he armed security guard, wanted to be able to have a gun in his house. But Washington, D.C.'s law said, you can't have a gun in your house without a license. And they had a handgun without a license. They hadn't issued a license in decades. Yeah. And if you have a long gun, a rifle, it has to be disassembled. So it's of no practical use for self-defense. Right. We challenged those DC laws and won. But the threshold question was, and this is something that was debated for years before the Supreme Court settled the issue in Heller, does the Second Amendment you know, it says a well-regulated militia yeah. uh, being necessary for the security of a free state. Forgive me if I'm pr- paraphrasing right now. <laughs> right no, that's the exact quote. Bail arms should not be infringed. It's that militia clause mm-hmm. at the front end right. that caused a lot of people to argue that what the Second Amendment really protects is a collective right, a state's right, as opposed to the federal government, the right of the states to have an armed militia. And history shows that's not what the founders meant. That's not what they were trying to limit it to. And that's what the Supreme Court recognized in the Heller decision. So we got rid of this argument between whether or not it protected an individual right. The Supreme Court said it does. Now, after that, the McDonald case two years later was all about getting uh, the Second Amendment incorporated through the 14th Amendment so that it would limit infringements by state and local governments as well. And it, the, the Supreme yeah. Court again took that case and said, yes, it does. Uh, the, Supreme, the Second Amendment is incorporated, so it does limit state and local. Right. So now you've got a Second Amendment that stops the infringement on the right to keep and bear arms by federal, state, or local governments. But what does that mean? So yeah. years, the, 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 the jurisdictions, most notably perhaps the Ninth Circuit, who don't like gun owners and they don't want people, they want the government to be able to ban as many guns from as many places, from as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. They came up with a, a way to evaluate the constitutionality of a gun control law that was very deferential to the government and basically upheld almost everything uh, because the way that court, the Ninth Circuit in particular, was comprised, it was two thirds of uh, uh, liberal judges and uh, less than a third conservatives. and so almost always you had a majority of liberal justices upholding these laws and applying significantly, applying the wrong test. Mm-hmm. Because you often 
when a court is asked to determine the constitutionality of a law, whether it's a First Amendment violation or a Second Amendment violation, whatever it is, they have to have a standard of review. Yeah. So First Amendment has been, they've have sort of tiers of scrutiny, they're called, where, you know, if you have a sign on the side of the road for a political candidate, I'm sure we're all seeing these or we've seen them because of the primaries, all these signs along the side of the road with different candidates, they want you to vote for them, right? That's political speech. So the government cannot ban those signs entirely. They can put certain restrictions on them. They can say you can't put them up, you know, eight months before the election. You can only do it a month before and you have to take them down right after the election and they can't be real big and they can't have lasers attached. You know, they can put time, place and manner restrictions on political speech. They can do more if someone wants to put a sign on the side of the road to advertise for diapers. You know, they can put a lot more restrictions on commercial street speech than political speech. So it's first determining this type of speech or the scope of the, of, of the Second Amendment right. And then it's applying a balancing test, some kind of an interest balancing test, either strict scrutiny, intermediate scrutiny, or rational basis. It's this complicated Rube Goldberg mousetrap game kind of a, a evaluation of, of, of constitutionality of a law. Rube Goldberg. Wow, you're really dating yourself now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, I love that. Uh, it's uh, yeah. So there's know, an analogy between this First Amendment, which there's a lot there. That there's a lot. There's a rich jurisprudence of First Amendment. I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of sense to, to like from a common sense perspective, but it's there. There's a right. record. There's precedent, and they're supposed to go by precedent. That's an interesting question of you know precedent. How how powerful is precedent if it's wrong? Well, um, the Heller case talked about what the right standard review said and said, yeah. don't do an interest balancing test. But that's yeah. exactly what the courts did. And they made so it in other words, they're, the, these liberal judges are are putting their own policy preference. Exactly. Into the they decision with their thumb on the scale of justice. And because they can come out any way they want it to. Yeah. Because they can say, you know, there was an argument initially that the Second Amendment didn't even apply outside the home. This was the homebound Second Amendment argument that right. Heller only right. dealt with guns in your house, and so right. the Second Amendment only protects guns in your house. But the language Wait of the Second Amendment is keep and bear. It's, yes. it's there. It's right there in the, in the Constitution. So it'd be and there a was previous purpose. precedent that made it clear that bear, bear means carry. Uh, you know, but that certain judges don't care about that. They will... They will Frankly, I think they bent over backwards intellectually right. to uphold some of these laws that never should have been upheld. So now the question is going to be whether or not the Supreme Court adopts a new standard of review in this New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case and, and enforces, says for sure, this is how you evaluate the constitutionality of a, sec of a gun control law under a Second Amendment analysis. And if they go with what we think they're going to go with, with some kind of originalism, and because I, I was there in 2008 when they or, when the Heller our case was orally argued and Justice Roberts and Justice Scalia were sitting up there talking about the standard of review and the D.C. lawyer was arguing it should be rational basis. You know, he was arguing the tiers of scrutiny akin to the First Amendment. And Roberts and Scalia looked at each other and said, why in a, it, 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 we're coming out with this new fundamental right? Why would we take this First Amendment Byzantine, complicated, nonsensical, uh, manipulatable 
standard of review and impose it on a new right. It's got to be a simpler way. We don't want to take all this precedent, which is so much baggage, and, and, and crush the Second Amendment with it. But that's basically what happened. The, 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 the lower courts, after Heller and McDonald, adopted these tiers of scrutiny, these interest balancing tests, which can be manipulated. And so a lot of laws have been struck down because they're applying the wrong test. So if the Supreme Court drives home the point that the right test is you know, this, and what you've been doing is the wrong test, then that means that all those cases that were decided based on the wrong standard of review being applied are subject to being relitigated. I know another point about yeah. the, the New York State case that everybody should know, for years, we've been trying, since Heller, we've been trying to get another case to the Supreme Court to, to establish what the standard of review should be. Everybody knew after McDonald's that the next question was, after the McDonald case in Chicago, the next question was, what's the standard of review? And so all these cases came through the court system. This, this standard of review evolved in all the circuits. And we kept going to the Supreme Court saying, review this. They're applying the wrong standard. But Justice yeah. Kennedy was on the court. And he wasn't ready to take another Second Amendment case. Mm -hmm. But Justice Tom Thomas was, and oh, yeah. Alito was, and Scalia <laughs> yeah. was. Thomas was, and, definitely. And so they were constantly, even though the court was voting not to take case, remember, it takes four case, four votes to take a case, five votes to win. So if you only have four and, and the four votes yeah. no, they don't have the fifth, then a lot of times they'll take they'll vote not to take a case because they know they're going to lose it. Yeah. But uh, in this case, Justice Thomas wrote these scathing dissents, like, why aren't we taking these cases? We've right. long overdue to uh, this to, to set things straight and, and and put these lower courts back in their in their place. Yeah. But they still didn't take the case. So ultimately, they took when Justice Kennedy retired and we got Kavanaugh and, and uh, Cohen and Barrett in, in as justices, now they had enough to win with five, maybe even yeah. six, depending on what side of the bed Justice Roberts gets up out of that morning. <laughs> yeah. and, and so Justice Thomas was writing dissents all along saying we should take these cases. Right. And now it appears that Justice Thomas is the one that's writing the opinion. Mm. Uh, for the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. Now, how do we know that? Because is there a leak? Like there, there was no, no. The there, there's a case? schedule that, and by process of elimination, you can see all the justices who have been assigned opinions and the justices who haven't issued opinions yet. And there's only so many opinions left. And we also know just Justice Roberts' interest, and he hasn't come out with one of the high-profile opinions yet. So it's quite likely that he was assigned Thomas. and probably as well, the if it's Thomas, then that's a huge win for us because yes. Thomas has has it nailed down. Now, let, let me get your answer on this. What do you say to the mushy middle person? I'm, I'm really going for the mushy middle people because we have we need those people to win elections and get the right judges in there. What do you say to the mushy middle people who might be worried that Okay, they see your point that the liberals are putting their finger, their policy preference, and that's not fair. It's not fair to the Constitution. It's not fair how we've set things up. But what, what do you say if they're worried that this is a new fundamental right that the court invented? And that's what the conservatives are doing. This is 5-4 and, and Heller, 5-4 and McDonald. What do you say to the complaint that uh, this is just conservatives putting their policy preference. Well, I mean, there's no <laughs> the word abortion doesn't appear in the in the Constitution. 
the word gay marriage doesn't appear in the Constitution, but the right to keep that's and bear true. arms appears in the Constitution. Okay. That's written. So the text, in, that's a yes, guiding principle. Text of the Constitution. Yes. So we're not creating anything. Now, the scope. So in other of words, right, this is a long standing fundamental right. And it was just only recently that the court had an issue with defending it. In other words. Yeah. And remember, it's not really the fundamental right to keep and bear arms, per se. It's the right to self-defense. And we've had that fundamental God-given right doesn't depend on the Constitution. You know, we've been exercising the right to self-defense since we lived in caves and fought off saber-toothed tigers. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's the right to self-defense. Is anybody going to really say you don't have the right to defend yourself or others from 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 threats, criminal threats? Seems it's pretty common sense to me. Yeah, uh, seems pretty common sense. Yeah, right. Okay. For that purpose is a firearm. And so the question is, again, this goes back to initially, is there social utility? Should we have guns because they save more lives than they take? Uh, and the answer to that is yes. But then you get into, okay, so what types of guns can be banned? What types of people can be banned from having guns? And what places can we ban guns from? And that's where other legal tests have kind of come out. Uh, uh, guns uh, in Heller, it was the test seems to have been set up that if the gun is not unusually dangerous, it is in common use for lawful purposes, then it can't be banned. And so say, say those two point, things again, it's not unusually dangerous. And it's in common, commonly possessed for lawful purposes. And they said handguns are in the Heller case because that case was about handguns. So you can't oh, ban man. handguns. Yeah. So well, if that's that would test, mean that uh, the, the, the so-called large capacity magazines, that those are in common use and bingo. they're not unusually so dangerous. Those are semi-automatic I mean, rifles, the most popular right. rifle in the country. Everybody has one, not just okay. the bad guys. Yeah. Okay. So there's a fair, in other words, you're saying the conservatives aren't putting their thumb on the scale for their policy preference. What they're doing is they're saying that there's a fair procedure for understanding this is the correct way of understanding the Second Amendment and applying it. Uh, because well, that is, not, that is judicially, that's a judicial test that was created by Heller. Okay. The real question is, and if I was an originalist kind of understanding that's an originalist understanding what you're saying um why is original no, 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 not, not necessarily not necessarily oh, okay all right so so again you you've got the fundamental question which is is it a collective right or an individual right once we decide it's an individual right then you have to get into subcategories and figure out whether or not that individual right protects a, a particular type of gun mm -hmm. or whether a particular type of person should be able to possess firearms, you know, okay, you want to ban felons, okay, all felons, what about people with just a misdemeanor conviction, can you ban all of them, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what categories of people can be banned from possessing firearms, 18 to 21 year olds is the big question right now, that's being debated. For, um, for the, for the woke people, um, this is an interesting thing that I bring up in my LA classrooms, that Justice Thomas, if you take a look at him, just take a good hard look at Justice Thomas. He's the only one on the U.S. Supreme Court that's black and was raised in the segregated South. He was raised in the segregated South, pinpoint Georgia. The Klan, I mean, you talk about the Klan. 
that there was a real clan there, a real yeah. one, right? And yeah, they the were people, scary. People have, who have seen yeah. uh, uh, terror or tyranny up close and personal, yeah. they're the ones who most poignantly get yeah. why we have who, a right. Who do you think had political power? The Who do you think controlled the police? That the institutions can be corrupted by anti-self-defense impulses for for ordinary people like justice thomas and he gets it i think that and he that's why i'm so excited that he might be the one that's writing this because he really does get it and yeah we had a very we had a very favorable judge in in san diego county in the in the federal courts judge benitez yeah yeah tell him came, tell us about him he came out in favor of us on several uh lawsuits he uh struck down the assault weapon ban he struck so-called assault weapon he struck down the ammo background check. He struck down the magazine capacity uh, ban. Mm -hmm. He and his family escaped from Cuba when Fidel Castro was taking over. They were American sympathizers and they were about to be put in jail. And who mm -hmm. knows what would have happened to them from there. So he saw, he saw how tyranny works. He saw it. He looked it in the eyes. Okay. Yeah. He appreciates why we have a second amendment. He gets it. And he, I think Justice yeah. Thomas does too. But a lot of people don't. So, yeah, that's right. There, there's a naivety about institutions and that they'll always be fine and they're always fair. But government isn't always fine and it's not always fair and it's very powerful and they always have guns. The government always has guns. And the thing that I think people really need to understand and that maybe those people, not just in the middle, but on the left. You know, I did an interview with Larry King once and he we were talking for a while and then, you know, we were talking about empirical stuff and this makes sense. And that doesn't make sense. We've been having a kind of similar argument, a similar discussion we're having now. And he ultimately went, at one point he looked at me, he says, do you care, Chuck, do you care about all these people getting killed? And I yeah, was that's shocked. The problem. You don't care. No. Because of course we care. Of I'm course. a parent. I'm a son. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a, you know, I have a, a, a family. You know, right. people who own guns are not cold. We, the, the, the gun ban lobby has no monopoly on empathy. It's just that I know. And I, by the way, I used to work as a prosecutor. I held the hands of so many victims in the hallways outside courtrooms. I mean, I know what it's like to be a victim. And I know what laws won't work, mm -hmm. won't stop a criminal from committing a crime and don't make us any safer. And it's lip service. A politician's press conference talking point is not a law that works and a not, not a law that genuinely makes us safer. So what I am arguing and, and advocating for is laws that work. So, hey, if you want to pass a law, if the government wants to pass a law that bans a certain type of gun, present evidence that that particular law will actually save lives. And they never can. Because there is no, there's nothing that shows, and that's what that gun truth book's all about. There's no okay. evidence that these gun laws work. I mean, every, every time gun laws fail and fail and fail again, people who are going to commit murder do not care if you, you made their gun illegal or if they are supposed to go through a background check to buy one, you know, when they can get one on the black market right. or make one. It doesn't stop yes. the criminal. And it doesn't make you safer. So in fact, it does something worse. I'll go a step further. I'll say 
that criminalizing innocent conduct is, I think, about the worst thing that a government can do. And it's what all bad governments do. If you look back in history, every bad government, and, and, and there's a lot of bad governments in history, and in currently, every bad government criminalizes innocent conduct. It, it treats innocent people and innocent conduct as if it's criminal. That's what the Soviet Union did. That's what North Korea does. Cuba, um, all down through history, the the tyrannies, the monarchies, and that's what many gun control uh, policies do. They they put you in a situation where if you want to be prepared for effective self defense, because you know your situation better than the government does. If some woman gets a brand new job and turns out it's in a sketchy area of town and the job hours are maybe falling out of when there's a lot of people around, even if there are a lot of people around, you happen to know that you might be in danger. And then now you have some kind of, uh, you have to go to the sheriff and say, um, I, yeah, I go hiking where there's cougars. So can I get a concealed carry permit? Oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we'll give you a concealed carry permit because there's cougars once a year when you go hiking. But when you're in danger every day, going just going to work, and if you put a gun in your purse without that permit, what's the penalty? Is it a felony in California? Uh, it's a, uh, Genuinely, without, it's a misdemeanor, but it, it's a wobbler. It can be charged as a felony depending on the circumstances. Well, the fact that it would be criminal at all for you to be prepared to defend yourself on a subway, on a, in a public place. And if you have the training, I'm saying if you, you, you're conscientious, you get the training, you're, um, you're prepared for self-defense and you're not showing anybody this farm. You just want to be protected because you're a woman or whatever. I mean, when I tell my students this, my my female students, this is the first time they're hearing this. They cannot believe when it, when you say it this way. I'm, I'm I'm just describing what the law is. You the 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 law would regard you as just as bad as your attacker because you're ready to repel your attacker with the police not there. They're not your bodyguard, right? And the, this whole this whole police thing, this ambivalence about what the police are, defund the police. Uh, one day and the next thing you know empowering them to knock down your door the other day it's like well make up your mind i mean but however you cash that out the police are not your bodyguard they no, do not have not an liable if they don't protect you they're not liable if they fail that's that's a huge issue too that people don't understand they don't understand that the police have no duty right is that what you're saying they have no yeah, legal they duty have no to duty protect to protect you not not legal enforceable duty there there's no contract that you can enforce you can't you can't sue a police officer for failing to protect you say that one more time because i think the people in the mushy middle need to hear that you, you cannot sue the a police officer for failing to protect you so who's going to protect you 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 well, if you want to be your own first responder to, genuinely yeah. depending on who the police sure, officer. I, I agree with that but then you got to defend who ultimately you got to be ready to defend yourself We've all all seen particularly the now L.A. riot thing. We've all seen yeah. the footage from the L.A. riots where the police officers were. I mean, they were overwhelmed. And that's not a normal situation. I understand. But 
the very fact that they cannot be forced to protect you, they're not your bodyguard. That's a wake-up call for some folks. And, and by the way, I think a lot of people got woke up, kind of reverse woke, uh, after COVID. That's why we had such a huge surge in, in firearm purchases, because people realized, you know, ultimately, civilization is a very thin veneer in our society. It doesn't make take, take much, you know, an earthquake or a riot or whatever to to uh crack that veneer and and you know next thing you know it's survival of of whoever's the most prepared wow and i'm not trying to argue some kind of survivalist mentality or something but right. Right. uh you're just you describing the reality to, though that's just reality you know i, I mean the, the old saying goes when seconds count police are just minutes away This is depressing, but I have hope for this uh, this uh, decision, and I'm I'm especially after reading that New York case, like what it was a couple of years ago, when when they they um there was a pure per curiam, you know the case, uh, yes, where they said it's a moot case, but but uh, I learned a lot about that just reading Alito's. Oh, because they're dissent. so scared, the politicians repealed That's all right. the laws that were being challenged, so that the Supreme Court couldn't take it so they would have to declare it moot well we really appreciate you uh coming on chuck and uh, your time i know it's very valuable and um we'll uh we'll link up this, this is, stuff this is the most this is a historic case this is a legal precedent that's we're going to uh it's going to set the, the the terms of the second amendment for hopefully not another decade you know like the last do you have anxiety about it? I'm pretty confident that we're going to prevail. The question is, how far is the court going to go? Are they really going to give us the guidance that we've been scrambling to figure yeah. out for ourselves for the last? Yeah. Is that years? guidance going to be in a majority opinion or is it going to be in a concurrence? Uh, please, please straighten some of this stuff out for us. Yeah. What a headache. You know, I, I, I would rather... I mean, you know, I'm a litigator. I don't mind going to court, but yeah, I'd rather just have some things straightened out so that I don't have to fight this wishy-washy kind of standard. It is that, tiring. That, you know, it doesn't really suit any purpose to, to, to try and fly by the seat of your pants through all this stuff. Chuck, do you have hope for the future of America? Well, that's a good question. And, and to, it goes way beyond the Second Amendment. Do I have hope? Right. Yes. Okay, but I mean, there's a battle going on for America's soul right now. And not too long ago, I would have told you that I didn't really think that the side I kind of support, by the way, I'm sort of a libertarian, not really a hardcore conservative, but I didn't think there was much hope. I mean, when you see some of the things that are being argued and realize how silly they are and how contrary to our founding principles. I mean, I, I think First Amendment is probably the most obvious, the most, you know, that jumps out the most of late. You know, there is a battle going on for America's soul, and yeah. it's not clear which side's going to win yet, 100%. Mm -hmm. So I have hope, but yeah, it's a fight. Yeah. Well, you're doing important work, 
And the way to support that work would be join the CRPA, uh, get that book, Gun Truth. You can get it on get, Amazon. Get, in, get informed. You can sign get up informed. for CRPAs. Yeah, just the first thing is knowledge is power. Just get the emails. <laughs> Even though there's a lot, yeah, I know you got to sort through all those emails and texts and it's a pain to get all this stuff. You're, we're inundated with information every day, but yeah. get the information from the CRPA and, and, and pay attention and then make the calls to the legislator when the time comes and donate. If you can spare a couple of shekels, you know, uh, give <laughs> something to CRPA or second amendment law center or, uh, whatever. CRPA you, is not a new organization. It's been around for a bit. CRPA is not a oh, new no, 141 years, 140 years, 140 years. Jeez. Started as a shooting organization, as most of them did. You know, it was a shooting club. And then as the politicians did more and more and more to oppress shooting sports and firearms, the clubs became political. And that's the same thing happened with the NRA. Uh, yeah. NRA was just a marksmanship entity initially. And then as, as they... Uh, realized that capitulation and appeasement was not going to work. Uh, they they woke up and said we need to form a political opposition group, which they did. Makes sense. All right. So uh, you have a book too, right? Gun laws. I do. I do. I actually have got a couple people I find interesting. If you okay. live in California, there's California gun laws. California gun laws. Uh, yep, I have that book. And unfortunately, this is how many this is how many pages Amazing. it takes. Six hundred pages yeah. to explain the gun laws in the state of California. That's a huge thing that you just said right there. A lot of people don't realize. They think, oh, it's so easy to get a gun. There's no hardly any guns, uh, or gun laws at all. It's like, no, that's a pretty thick book that you just and and yeah. that's just one state. Right. It's I mean, not, that's not like even a thousand different laws. And every single one of them wow. has gray areas that you have to try and figure out and not Jeez. run afoul of because you don't want to wind up in jail. And then there's another one which folks might find interesting. And this is also on Amazon. Uh, this is about a guy who was in the, there was a, a mass shooting in the 101 California Street building in San Francisco. And this is about a guy who survived that. He actually defended himself with a corporate seal. That was the best weapon he could find. Oh my gosh. This deranged madman went through the law firm shooting people. And then it's about how this person's mindset evolved as he realized that, you know, out of 101 on California Street, there came the Legal Community Against Violence, which is now the Gifford Center, which is a group of lawyers who formed a gun control advocacy group. And, uh, mm -hmm. He was part of it at first, and then he realized it really didn't work. Wow! As he had some life experiences that made him realize he need he was responsible for his own life, and he had to defend himself. And mm. uh, the, the 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 way his his that's why it's coming to terms. He came to terms with the reality of our own vulnerability, no matter what the government promises, and did, realized did you that interview you know, him possible. for the book. What's did, that? You, did you interview him for that book or he and I wrote it together? Oh, okay. So he's a co-author. What's his name? David Frankel. F-R-A-N-K-E-L. How did he get on your radar? 
that's a good question. I forget. I think he emailed me and volunteered. No He's kidding. a lawyer too. Wow. And so there were some crossover in legal circles, but I think he emailed me because he was interested. You know, we're always looking for activists and people who have sort of want to get involved in the movement. And he, he volunteered. On the campuses in California, they they issue guidance for us uh, based on these murders that happen in Oregon at some college and, uh, you know, Virginia Tech. They, they said, um, I'm not kidding. They they said um, at the, as a very last resort, you could use a stapler for self-defense. I'm not kidding. They actually say use a stapler. In the guidance, yeah. you know, what's you know, what's interesting, and this is completely kind of off topic. You know, when some of these school shootings were happening a few years ago, my kids were in high school and, oh, and I realized, you know, they're not immune. They're not, they're not, no. uh, but I went down to the school and I talked to some of the teachers and I realized there were some very simple things that they could do to, to make them safer. Uh, and one of which was none of these doors locked. Yeah. So I went on yeah. Amazon. Same issue with I us. I went on Amazon and I bought like 30 of these door blocker things and took them down to the school and gave it to all the teachers. And they were thrilled. Oh, that's cool. It's a simple, like a wedge that goes under the door so that if somebody's trying to get in, they can't get in, the door's blocked. And, and that would stop so much right there. The, 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 the people who go and commit these murders, these horrible, horrible, sick, evil people, mm-hmm. they're not tactically trained. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, big shooting experts they like they video games or they move on yeah yeah i'm surprised that uh, some administrator doesn't block that because a uh, fire hazard or because they're afraid of getting sued by the parents or something if the student does yeah, no that kidding. you know it's there's always some kind of excuse to make students unsafe and teachers unsafe which i'm trained firearms i'm a military veteran i was trained by seals in the navy in small arms you know and i'm i'm treated like i'm a criminal an ordinary you know thug if i have a firearm on campus even if you're a concealed carry holder right in california you are you are prohibited from stepping your big toe on campus with that firearm (laughs) I, i was at a i was at a presentation yesterday and there was a uh, a police officer in the room and he was open carrying. He had his, you know, uniform and gun on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at one point I said, does everybody feel safer because there's a guy in here with a gun? I mean, mm-hmm. why do you feel safer because he's wearing a uniform? Mm. I mean, uh, <laughs> police are That's trained. Question. There's so much, I don't know why people think that you have to be a police officer in order to go be, help a, a school security or a facility yeah. security because police you know the i think it's a confidence issue i think it's yes. a confidence issue they, well, but that a lot of background check you know police are trained how to make an arrest they're trained how to drive their car real fast they're trained all kinds of stuff which you sure. don't need to know in order to decide whether the guy coming through the door with a gun shooting kids needs to be shot himself you just need to be able to shoot straight and have some training on interacting in that kind of a scenario it's not all that complicated That's, yeah but go ahead and tr- teach the teachers to do that mm-hmm. if the, those if who the te- want those who want yeah yeah those who don't, want, have, to, yeah. don't have to force there's some like, people who shouldn't have a gun i'm not sure this is not a guns for everyone argument some people are yeah, going to have agree. 
don't have the mentality or the inclination or the whatever, but but some do. And and and, right. and, and all those teachers, by the way, it's funny, not funny, it's sad, um, who would lay down their lives to save their kids. Right. You know, I got to think that they would use the tool that they, if it, if it was available to them, to defend those kids' lives. What, what, you know, the martyr issue, you don't have to be a martyr. I think it is a confidence issue because when I talk about this with faculty, um, not very often, but sometimes it does come up and I'll, I'll say I'm a veteran. I'll, I'll tell them my background and, and, and I have a lot more confidence than they do that I, if I had a firearm, I would use it effectively for self-defense. Now I'm not saying that it's not a stressful situation, obviously, but I would rather have it than not is my point Bingo. and, and uh, not be reduced to using a stapler like they tell us to, but a lot of the faculty are, have such low confidence about self-defense. I think that's really what it is because they'll say, I mean, some of the hardest leftists will say in private, they'll say, I would trust you with the firearm, but they don't trust themselves. And so therefore they, they don't trust most people. And I think it's just a naive view of like police training um, because that kind of training is so common now, the same kind of training that the police get, because we have so many military veterans coming back from two wars, highly trained people. And a lot of times what they do is they go into firearm training. That's, that's very easy for them to go right into. And you can get high quality scenario training, psychological training on how to deal with uh, Trump, even medical training, how to stop a gunshot wound, how to take care of that. Um, you know, churches are churches are miles ahead of schools on this. Uh, that's true. One of CRPA's most pop, most most uh, popular uh, classes is church security. And I can't huh. tell you how many oh. church leaders attended that uh and and learn some things and 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 took action because they're you know not beholden to how do people get involved in that if somebody's listening to this in california and they want to get involved with church security training how do they uh, how do they what's the first step send, they do? send an email to the crpa or call the uh, the crpa 1-800-272-crpa wow that's on the website as well CRPA. Uh, I, believe, I believe it's still there. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, we, our whole training program have been set off balance because of COVID, but we're just starting to bring it all back online. And that's something that, uh, was definitely one of our most popular programs. So we'll be doing it again. How much does that cost? I don't remember. I think it was 75 bucks for that. I don't, uh, maybe not okay. even that much. Okay. I mean, uh, actually we may have gotten a grant for that and done it for free. Hmm. Okay. I, I don't remember. There might be money available, but it's not totally prohibitive. There, the training is available, and you can get it, and it's high quality stuff. And it's yeah, we don't want to turn anybody away. Anybody from a church yeah. who wants to get training, we're going to figure out a way for them to yes, get trained. That's right. It's you not can have money. you have you can have confidence. It's just like driving a car. I mean, when I drive a car, I don't even think about what I'm doing. It's amazing how dangerous it is. I. I you don't think about how dangerous it is what you're doing. Uh, sometimes every once in a while, I'll, I get a little weirded out by the vehicles on coming the other side and they're what mere inches away. <laughs> and it's just amazing how much I trust them. And these are incredibly dangerous objects. Yeah. We don't think about it because we, 
we have the training, we have the experience, we're very confident. Every once in a while we get really rattled because some bad things happen and people die and they get hurt. But that's, you know, you just do the best you can. You got to get trained. You got to, you, you, and you can. And, and it's a lot better than just sitting there being defenseless. I've always wondered about that. Like even when I was a little kid, I think in terms of security, anybody could just walk right in there. I, I was thinking that when I was a kid and I grew up near Chatfield High School. I was a Chatfield Charger when I was a kid. And then then I was in the Navy when that happened. And I, I just, I shook my, everybody was so shocked. And I, I just shook my head because I've been thinking about that since I was a kid. You could just walk, anybody can walk right in there. So anyway, well, thank you for your time today, Chuck. Uh, what a my great pleasure. discussion. And um, hey, after the court decides, have me back. I'm happy to come back and talk about it. It's oh, absolutely. A lot, of, a lot of dissecting to be done on that opinion. Yeah. And, and CRPA, by the way, will be putting out, you know, every day for a week, we're going to put out a little bit more about what we've okay. learned. It's going to take a while to read it and digest it. But guys, we'll uh, guys I, I live down the street from where CRPA uh, offices are in Fullerton. And I, I popped in there several times. They're great. In fact, whenever I renew my membership, I bring my, I'm so old school. I bring my checkbook in. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're looking at me like, you know, you can do this on the website. But uh, it's got they've got a great magazine. And oftentimes when I go in that office, I pick up a couple that are just laying there for free. And sure. it's, it's a great organization. It's been around for a long time. Uh, Chuck is. Do you get paid as a president? No, this is all pro bono work. Thank you, you for pointing that out, because I don't want yeah. people thinking. And then the legal work right. that we do, we do at a very, very significantly reduced rate. Because yes. I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm not just a legal ad advocate. I'm also an activist. I'm a true believer. Okay, yeah, my right. chocolate lab's name is Heston. What does that tell? <laughs> there you go. And yeah, so you're you're the president, but you're doing it all for free. This is not this is not about getting any kind of money for. I mean, we're we know that people are barely scraping by with gas prices and stuff, but this is incredibly important work, uh, and the work continues. And as soon as the decision comes down. And I have a chance to read that. We'll have you back. Great. We'll talk, we'll talk about the decision. Okay. Good talking to you.